0: I was thinking just a moment ago, before I came up here, that all my favorite people are here, from my church, and my community, and my family from out of town, and I can't think of a place I'd rather be, or people I'd rather be with, than the people I'm with tonight, so my heart is is full. Ever since I was a child, my mother made Christmas very special. Um, Sometime around the 4th of July, she began decorating (laughs) for Christmas. She's here, and uh, one of my brothers is here. He can attest to this. Um, She had tote after tote after tote of Christmas stuff, and it was the same stuff every year, but was added to over the years. We all had our various things that we put in our own rooms. So if we didn't just decorate like the family room, my mom always had to have Two living areas, there was the area where we were allowed to sit and wrestle and watch TV. And my mom had another area where only she was allowed to sit. And so the decorations corresponded to the quality of the room. We had decorations for our own bedrooms. Um, My mom had some little thing that I actually saw at IKEA the other day that you lit candles and it made a little brass thing turn. Did you guys have that growing up? My mom had one of those. Um, And also, she would pull out the LPs. We had a record player that was nearly as big as this stage. And she had every Christmas album, I think, that had ever been um, produced. So as a child, we listened to Bing Crosby and Perry Como and all these people that uh, my mom loved very much. And we would always watch all the classic movies, White Christmas and Holiday Inn and all those things. So I grew up on very traditional uh, Christmas. We ate the same foods. We did the same routines. We had a very special Christmas Eve service every year that my father led. And those are very important memories. My mom may not know this, but one of the things that I would do every year, because I hated surprises and loved Christmas, is I would find out where the gifts were. And I uh, was really, really good at taking a sharp instrument and pulling the tape off and finding out what was inside the packaging and then putting it back just like it had been. So um, I loved Christmas in every sense. I remember one of my favorite Christmases when I was a little bit older, my oldest brother's always been a great gift giver. He's here tonight as well. And he bought my brother, my youngest brother and I, uh, a Nintendo, which was right after Nintendo came out. And that was a huge deal. I found out later that he'd been playing it for like three weeks prior to, <laughs> to giving it to us. But I have really fond memories of Christmas. So Christmas for me, for the most part, has always been a really happy and joyous time. But then I grew up and i began to feel the struggle and pain of this world a lot more god has put me into a profession where we tend to feel a lot of those hard things on a pretty routine basis and i think that the juxtaposition to use a big word or the tension that we live with especially once we are grown ups between joy and hope And the reality of of hard stuff, things that are broken, dark things. Advent, Christmas, if anything, gives us a tool whereby we can hold these two realities in tension. That on the one hand, this world is pretty broken. Often, it's, it's pretty disappointing. And yet, on the other hand, we don't move through this life without hope. We have hope that light is breaking into the darkness. And as we read earlier in our responsive reading from the first chapter of John's Gospel, John tells us that Jesus came into the world, but he doesn't use his name there. He calls him the light. The light came into the world, and the darkness has not and will not overcome the light. So ultimately, at Christmas time, we don't hope in our traditions. We ultimately don't hope in decorations or trappings or cultural things. We ultimately have to find something that's much greater than this, something that can actually break through and pierce that darkness. And that alone is Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, I believe that we find one of the greatest hints that this indeed will be what Advent is for us, that we can face the darkness with hope. So, Isaiah chapter 9 is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, Christ, who we know as Jesus. This prophecy was given around 700 years before the Lord Jesus was actually born to the Virgin Mary. The prophecy of the virgin birth was given two chapters before, in Isaiah chapter 7, Israel was going through an incredibly difficult time where internally they had turned away from God, and externally they were dealing with the pressures of foreign invaders that were coming to wipe them out. So God gives Israel a sign, and He promises that one day a miraculous birth will take place, and this miraculous sign will prove to them that despite the fact they are facing external and internal brokenness, that God will break through and He will meet their needs, despite the fact, if you want to put it this way, that they sense the darkness within and they sense the darkness without. The light of hope that will come through the birth of a son to the nation will give them hope. In fact, by this time in Israel's history it had gotten to the point that they wondered if redemption might actually ever come. We talked about this yesterday as a church family. When the first sin was committed by our first parents, rather than wiping humanity out or leaving them to themselves, God came and met with them and pursued them. We call this grace. Grace is getting what we actually don't deserve. What happened in the garden is that our first parents were met with grace when they did not deserve it, and they were promised that one day a Redeemer would come. But by the time you get to Isaiah's prophecy, centuries, truly millennia had passed, and the darkness felt thick and oppressive. With that in mind, let's read together, if you have your Bibles, from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 7. This is the word of the Lord. will do this. Thank God for His holy word. To give you a little more context of what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 9, you notice at the beginning of this passage, Zebulun is mentioned. Naphtali is mentioned. The way of the sea, Galilee of the nations. To simplify this, this was northern Israel. When most of the invasions that came into Israel came, they came from the north, from Assyria, from Babylon. The northern portion of Israel was the place where these invasions were staged and at first carried out. So there was fear in this northern part of the country, fear that the invaders that indeed were stronger than them would come and wipe them out. Midian is mentioned in verse 4. This comes from the book of Judges, also in the Old Testament. You perhaps know the story of Gideon and the miraculous victory that God gave the Israelites over the Midianites who were much stronger than them who had oppressed them. Israel had been used to being oppressed. God had told them in days gone by that if they would be faithful to Him and treasure Him above all, that He would protect them. This was important because they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable strategically and geographically, but they were even more vulnerable because they were not a large nation. And God made it very clear to them that if they were going to experience peace, as Pastor Rick read and prayed to us and just a bit ago. They were going to experience rest and peace. They were going to have to depend upon God They could not depend upon themselves. However, if they didn't, if they didn't depend upon God, if they depended upon themselves, their vulnerability would be exploited by their neighbors. And Israel's history proved this. When they're faithful to God, God protected them. When they were unfaithful to God and trusted themselves, God exposed to them, made it very clear to them just how vulnerable they were. Isaiah chapter 9 Points forward to a time in which God would take away all that fear, all that anxiety, all that wonder as to whether or not another invader would come in and exploit their vulnerability. And Isaiah chapter 9 makes it very clear that eventually that will be taken away entirely. Eventually, Israel would experience the kind of peace that would last forever. This points forward to a time when a child would be born, which is incredibly ironic and unexpected. You would expect that God would say to the people of Israel that at one time they would grow to such an extent and develop such strategy in their military that they would have warriors who could repel any foreign invaders. You would think logically that this is how they would protect themselves. They would they would eventually grow to the point that they could insulate themselves from any damage and any harm. But the beautiful irony in all of this is that it's going to come through a child. That makes no sense. Our children are vulnerable and weak and they need our protection. Parenting is nothing if it's not keeping our kids alive most of the time. Keeping them from eating things that they should not eat, or conversely, eating things that they should eat. Staying away from dangerous things. I have a child that, if we allowed him, would climb everything that he sees and break every bone in his body. We're always watching over our children to make sure that, that they're protected. We are there to preserve their lives. But the wonder of what God was going to do for Israel is that He was going to bring a child that would bring them salvation. And, my friends, this is what Advent is all about that God was going to come graciously and bring them something that they never would have thought of to bring them salvation. And this is what the birth of Jesus is all about. This would not be a normal child. He would have other titles or descriptors of his character and power. This child would grow into a wonderful counselor. He would be able to instruct his people perfectly all the time. And this second descriptor, he will be a mighty God. God would not have given this prophecy through the prophet Isaiah if it weren't true. Otherwise, this would just be blasphemy. But this child would actually be deity, divinity. He would be God Himself. He will be an everlasting Father watching over and protecting His people. He'll be a prince who brings peace And what will his government be characterized by? What will his rule be characterized by? Peace without end, verse 7. And whereas Israel up to this point and ever since never experienced a perfect government or governor, one day there will come a kingdom that will be established with justice and righteousness. And how do we know this will come to pass? I said this to you yesterday before we referenced this passage. Isaiah ends the section in verse 7 by saying, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, will do this. God will will leverage His full power and love on behalf of His people to bring perfect peace and righteousness. And, And that's why Jesus came. Jesus has come into this world in His first advent, His first coming, To offer us reconciliation to God. So that the external things outside of us and internal pressures and anxiety and darkness and brokenness that we feel that are too present and real to ignore, that He will begin dealing with those things. And that's why He came to reconcile us to God to give us good news, the the Gospel. What is the Gospel? What is the good news? That Jesus offers us Himself. And this is why He died. He died the death that we deserved because of our own sins and transgressing of God's law. And He rose victorious from the grave, conquering sin and death, and He offers Himself to us. If we will place our total confidence in Him and stop trusting ourselves, which is incredibly difficult for us middle, upper middle class Americans. We have such self-confidence that we think somehow we can contribute to our salvation. If you were to ask the average American where in the Bible you find the verse, God helps those who help themselves, they would pull out their smartphones and Google it and try to find it. It doesn't exist in the scriptures. It's not there. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. And that's why Jesus came. And He offers Himself to us that if we will trust Him, He will take away our sins and our punishment and grant us His righteousness, His goodness, and we can be reconciled to God. And then there's coming a day where Jesus will come again, His second Advent, which we also celebrate here at this time of Christmas when His kingdom will break in its fullness. So so it's like this. Tonight, the kingdom of God is represented here in this building by all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus and trusted His death and resurrection. The kingdom is here. Now, we're not wearing crowns and holding scepters, and we won't usher ourselves out of the parking lot in chariots with white horses, but we are His children, children of the King, But there is coming a day when the Lord Jesus will return and His kingdom will break in in fullness and we'll know full and utter peace forever. So for those of you who have already trusted Christ, He who died for you and rose again, you have that peace tonight and we come tonight to celebrate. For those of you who do not, we invite you to trust the Lord Jesus as your only hope and join us in hope of His second Advent when He will come and make all things well. We have friends, we mentioned this to everyone yesterday, we have friends right now in Galena, been part of our church for a very long time, who just this past Saturday evening lost their 14-year-old daughter. So Matt and Gina White tonight, who have trusted the Lord Jesus and believe deeply in the good news, are dealing with the tension of hope and darkness and loss. Whitney and I were on a date Saturday evening and we're eating uh, food, which is what you often do on a date when you're a grown up. And um, got a text as soon as dinner was over. We would had a wonderful dinner together. Um, largely because we went with our kids. Which is one of the great things about dates, right? Children, my children here, I love you so much, but I need time alone with her mother. And so while we were alone, we were having a wonderful time and rehearsing what God has done for us this past year. Been a lot of hard things happen in the year that's gone by, but but I don't remember a year that has gone by that has been as happy as this one. Many tangible things that we can point to, new friendships, new relationships, wonderful things that have happened to our church, all kinds of things that we were rehearsing. We had so many things to say, and then we got the phone call In a text that Miriam was uh, in dire straits. And then as we went down to the hospital, we had found out that she passed away. She's 14. She contracted bacterial meningitis a few weeks ago. And we thought she had turned a corner. As I mentioned to you yesterday, we were texting with her parents on Saturday evening before our date. And things were looking good. She was doing well. Um, Gina had decorated the house along with some friends. They hadn't had time to do it before that. They had a meal that someone had brought them that was on the table. Miriam had gone upstairs to do something and uh, cried out for her father, who was a pediatrician, and he ran up and attempted to help her. The squad came, and the EMTs fought to save her for over an hour, and she went into eternity. How, how does a family like Matt and Gina... Especially in this season, deal with loss like that. Any of us parents who know anything, we would we would take our child's place in that instance in a heartbeat. We wouldn't even hesitate. On the one hand, as I sat and spoke with them, I was angry with God that he would not only allow this, but allow it to happen at Advent. That seems cruel. But my mind has changed over the past 24 hours or so as I've considered this because what better season to remind Matt and Gina that there is hope. There is light that is breaking through the darkness. And the God who gave this prophecy knew full well what the outcome would be. This child that He sent into the world would die. God is a Father who identifies with the loss of a son. And therefore, the Gospel that Jesus came into the world to lay His life down for us allows us to hold together these two truths. That because of internal and external brokenness, it is so easy to live in despair in this world. And despite the fact, my friends, that we try to insulate ourselves from all of that brokenness and despair, in fact, the way that Isaiah puts it here in this text is that the world is is full of anguish. We've been around long enough. We feel anguish. But Advent allows us to face the anguish and the brokenness, the darkness of the world, while at the same time not losing heart. Because the light has broken into the darkness. The Lord Jesus has felt and carried our anguish. And He lifts our minds and lifts our hearts to God and gives us the hope that the anguish that we see will not have the final word. And that is why we are here tonight. Is brokenness, is anguish real? It's all around us and it's inside of us. But the Lord Jesus, this child who would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the light of the world has come into the darkness. And I promise you, and I know you believe this because this is why you're here. The darkness will not overcome it.